Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard, Pastor Kerry here. Uh, boy, if you've been watching the news this past week, uh, you probably have noticed that uh, the national shutdown for the coronavirus appears to be ending almost as quickly as it started. Uh, in some cases, the reopening process is almost as confusing as the shutdown was, if I was to be honest. And you probably have already seen on the news and throughout this home video series that I've been doing that the coronavirus pandemic, it has surfaced several questions and controversial issues for today's Christ follower. In light of what's been in the news the past couple of weeks and even recent developments in the last couple of days, I, I'd like to answer a question, and that is, is it ever okay to disobey our government? Is it ever okay to disobey our government? Once again, God's Word has practical counsel and wisdom for us and talks about how the church should relate to the government. And this is important to know because we are about to transition in our nation into a new normal. Things are going to go back to the way they were. It's going to be different. But before we open the scriptures together, uh, let's pause and ask the Lord to help us understand and apply them to our hearts. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we first just want to start by thanking you for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives so we could enjoy the freedoms and privileges that most countries in this world do not have. Lord, as we open the scriptures also, we want to, we just ask and we plead, would you help us in our finite minds and our sinful hearts to understand what your word has to say about this topic of of whether or not we should obey or disobey government and when. And Lord, would you help us to set aside our emotions and our, our preconceived judgments and biases, our political preferences, and would you help us, Lord, just for a few minutes to set those aside and to look objectively and honestly at the scriptures and to allow them to transform our thinking. And Lord, finally, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave the ultimate sacrifice of his life on the cross so that we could be set free from sin, have forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And as you turn there, uh, let me just connect the dots on why I think this question of when, when is it okay to disobey our government, why I think it's extremely relevant this week and this spring in particular. Um, here's why. First of all, there's a disagreement across 
local, state, and federal agencies on when houses of worship should be able to resume public worship services. Um, earlier this month, did you know that there was a, a coalition of several hundred Christian pastors formed here in the state of California called California Church United? And they came together and formed an organization with the intent of defying our governor's desire to keep houses of worship closed for the time being. Um, and then earlier this spring in North Carolina, a federal judge blocked Governor Roy Cooper's executive order limiting indoor religious services to 10 people or less. And then the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, excuse me, has sided with a number of other churches who are suing their states for infringing upon their constitutional rights to gather for worship. This topic is relevant also outside of the coronavirus pandemic. In recent years, we've all seen tragic news footage, video footage on the news of professing Christian citizens resisting arrest only to be injured or killed by law enforcement officers. And so, as you can see, this, this topic is very relevant, not only today, but uh, in the future as well, as we move forward as a nation. Now, let me give you some, some context here before we read Romans 13. And I know, by the way, that we looked at this passage at the beginning of the series several weeks ago. I just want to quickly revisit it before we look at some other scriptures that talk about the relationship between church and government. And so um, here, here's just a couple things you need to know. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul somewhere around 57 AD. Now that's important because he was writing to the church in Rome at the height of the Roman Empire. Like uh, New York City is today or London is in Europe, um, the city of Rome was the very hub of the greatest superpower in the world at that time, in the first century. And so uh, when Paul wrote this letter, he was shooting a bullet with his pen in this letter right into the center of the world at the time, where everything was happening and all the decisions that affected the world were being made. And Paul was also doing it during a time when a Caesar was sitting on the throne who was named Nero. And Nero was a bad, bad, wicked, wicked dude. I'll talk more about him in a few minutes. But for now, follow along with me as I read Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you are doing wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, here's the, here's the first point on your, on your handout, your worksheet. And number one is this. The Lord is sovereign over and wants us to submit to government. The Lord is sovereign over and wants us to submit to government. By sovereign, I mean the Lord is able to steer world governments in order to accomplish his plans for the world. And he's even able to take the evil and the bad things that governments do and redeem it for good. And almost always, it's good that we don't see right away or we may not understand, but he can still use it for good. Now, here's just a quick review of some of the principles we can take away from Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Um, first of all, even though we vote for our leaders here in the United States, Paul is making it clear that ultimately leaders are placed in their position by God. So God works through our voting and steers the voter counts on election days. And that's in verse 1. Notice in verse 2 that resisting civil authorities for anything other than obeying God is actually disobeying God. So uh, the Lord doesn't want us disobeying civil authorities for petty things or our opinions and feelings. Uh, next, notice that civil authorities are unknowingly servants of God. Again, the Lord is using them. We see that in verses 3 and 4. They are being used by Him to create order and to limit the spread of moral evil in the world. Thus, Paul is saying we should respect and honor authorities, especially government authorities that we live under. Now, the scriptures also mention two other facts about earthly governments that I, wanna, I wanted to make sure to mention here. Uh, and this would be letter A and then letter B on your outline. So here's letter A. Sometimes government blesses its people. Sometimes government blesses its people. Uh, here's a couple of examples while you write that down. In Genesis chapter 41, uh, while serving as Pharaoh's second command, Joseph led the Egyptians to store up grain for seven years because the Lord had revealed to him there was a seven-year famine coming. And so by storing up seven years of, of very prosperous crops uh, during a time of real prosperity for their farmland, they were able then to, as a government, and Joseph oversaw this, they were able to take care of the Egyptian people when there were seven years of no rain and no crops so that people were taken care of. Um, another example that comes to mind is, is in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
uh, it's there that the Lord moved in the heart of the Persian king Cyrus to release the people of Israel from their 70-year exile that God put them under uh, so they could go back home to Jerusalem and start rebuilding their country and rebuilding their temple. And so that's, a, that's an example of the Lord moving in an unbelieving king to accomplish his good plans. Um, so sometimes, and I think in the United States, I would say oftentimes, government blesses its people. Uh, here's letter B on your handout. Uh, sometimes, though, government oppresses its people. Sometimes government oppresses its people. The best example of this comes right out of the gospel story. It was the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, I'm sure you remember, who turned Jesus over to be crucified. Although this was preordained by God, the government was still guilty of injustice by crucifying an innocent man and then later persecuting anyone who claimed to follow Jesus. And so sometimes government oppresses people, and the scriptures talk about that. Now, let's, let's pause the video here for a couple of minutes, and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question that you see on your handout. What are some blessings and privileges that we enjoy here in the United States that people living under other governments around the world don't enjoy? What are some blessings and privileges we enjoy here in the United States that people living under other governments don't have? Talk about that for a couple of minutes, and I'll be right back. Of course, there are some obvious benefits, aren't there? Such as freedom of religion, freedom of speech, uh, being able to vote for our leaders, um, being presumed innocent until proven guilty in our court system, and so on and so forth. Um, we also have been blessed by having one of the strongest militaries in the world. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing that in the lifespan of our nation, no foreign army has occupied our mainland since America was born. Um, there's also checks and balances in our uh, various branches of government that a lot of other nations don't have. And then we have law enforcement agencies that enforce the law and protect our freedoms. So, if, you know, for example, if, if a burglar broke into your house and stole some of your stuff, you could call the police and and be pretty confident that they would track down that burglar, find him, arrest him. He would go to jail and they would try to recover some of your property. And again, that's, that's something we're used to here in the States, but that's not common in other parts of the world. And so, uh, again, I think it's important for us to remember most countries in the world don't have these freedoms and protections. And we Americans have been really blessed and we have a lot to be thankful for. And I think it's also for, important for us to remember that our submission is not contingent on the kind of government we're living under. You see, Romans 13 applies to all types of governments at all times in history. Next, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So hang a right and start heading towards the back in the New Testament. 
1 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you another passage that talks about the relationship between the church and uh, government. And as you turn there, let me give you some really important context here on this passage. Um, what Peter has to say about submission is significant because it's widely accepted that Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, shortly before or shortly after the Roman Emperor Nero launched a brutal persecution campaign against Christians. Uh, Peter wrote this on or around the mid-60s A.D., and historical documents tell us that Nero launched his brutal campaign against Christians in 64 A.D. Now, Nero, as you heard me mention earlier, he was a tyrannical, evil, violent, paranoid leader. Uh, historical documents tell us he had his own mother killed, then his wife, and then later set a major fire in Rome. Now, why, why would he do that? Why would he set a fire in his own city, in his own country that would bring harm to his own citizens? Well, if you're Nero, it's easy. Here's why. He needed to clear some land off so he could build a new palace for himself. And he saw Starting a fire is a good way to do that. Clear out some people and some, some old housing developments that he, was, he didn't want to see anymore. And then, to make matters even worse, after he started the fire, it burned for a few weeks. It made several thousand Romans homeless. And then Nero blamed it on Christians. So the Romans would hate the Christians. Now, during his rule, Nero also had some believers sewn inside animal skins and then set wild dogs off to go kill and uh, maul, maul to death these Christians. Oh, and then when Nero would have some outdoor parties on the roof of his palace complex or maybe out on the patio in the courtyard, he loved to have Christians tied to poles and then set on fire to provide some, some nice ambience and some light for his parties. That's what kind of guy he was. Now, knowing all this, follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 19. And you'll see why it's important to know who Peter is talking about here. Uh, Peter writes in verse 13 of chapter 2, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
Here's number two on your outline. I want to encourage you to write this down. Disliking or disagreeing with government does not exempt us from submitting. Disliking or disagreeing with government does not exempt us from submitting. Now, Peter is clearly affirming what Paul already taught us in Romans 13 here, and that is that earthly authorities are established by our Heavenly Father. But here's some, here's some quick principles I think we can take away from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 19. Um, first of all, notice our submissiveness reveals what we believe about God's sovereignty. For example, if we rebel and we rail against parents, husbands, elders, teachers, supervisors, CEOs, law enforcement, mayors, governors, and presidents, we are showing that we don't, we don't believe God is ruling through them. Next, Complaining about an authority is not honoring or submitting to them, as the text tells us to do. Notice that in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Too many Christians, and i got to be honest about this because this is really bugging me as a pastor. Too many Christians are spending too much time exercising their constitutional rights to freedom of speech instead of applying 1 Peter chapter 2. They're, they're, now, is it okay to disagree or express concerns about, you know, say, for example, our president? Sure it is. But most Christians I have seen have taken this way too far, way too far. On social media and at church fellowships and cookouts. And here's what I think God's Word would tell us. Our freedom of speech needs to be governed by God's Word. There are a lot of uh, imperatives in the Scriptures telling us to use restraint in what we say to control our mouths. I mean, we could go through Proverbs and find a ton of verses. And then, of course, we could go into the New Testament. We could go to James chapter 2. We could go to Titus chapter 3 and on and on and on. And so, freedom of speech is, it's actually not a biblical concept. Now, here's another takeaway from this, this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. Our perceived weaknesses of the leader, whoever the authority is, do not exempt us from submitting. Notice that in verse 18. Uh, notice how Peter tells slaves or servants, we would render that today, employees, that they are to submit to their masters or their employers regardless of whether they are a good and gentle master or unjust. It's right there in verse 17, 18, excuse me. Thus, if the Roman emperor Nero was to be honored by first century believers, then certainly the authorities that we sit under today should be honored as well. 
And again, that includes parents, husbands, uh, teachers, supervisors, coaches, mayors, governors, presidents, and on, and law enforcement. We should honor them as well. Now, I think there's some hope and some encouragement here in the text, and it would be this. We don't have it as bad as these first century Christians that Peter was writing to. They had to submit to Nero, and you heard me talk about that guy. And even if we did have a Nero in the White House or, say, in Sacramento, ruling our state, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, the last verse that we read, it says the Lord would be even more pleased with us for suffering unjustly. There would be rewards in eternity for us because we submitted and suffered unjustly. That's, that's encouraging. Well, here's the third point on your outline. Number three, disobedience to God does exempt us from submitting. Disobedience to God does exempt us from submitting. There are a handful of instances in the scriptures in which God's people disobeyed government in order to obey God. And here's a few quick examples. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, when Pharaoh gave the edict for the Hebrew midwives to kill all male Jewish babies who were born, we're told in, in that passage that the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. Uh, and then there's in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ordered by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to worship his golden idol, but they refused to do so. And because they feared the Lord and worshiped him instead, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the fiery furnace. And you know how that story ended up. And then in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel prayed to the Lord instead of following King Darius's edict to pray only to him, as a result, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And once again, you know how that story ended up. And then finally, another example, and there's several, but here's another one in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, verses 25 to 29, when Peter and John refused to stop preaching the gospel, they were thrown into prison, but an angel of the Lord broke them out of prison and told them to go back to the temple and keep preaching. And then they were brought before the Sanhedrin again, and the Sanhedrin said, we thought we told you to stop preaching about this Jesus guy, and you keep on doing it. So that would be another example. Now, Pastor uh, Bobby Jameson beautifully summed up this exemption clause on um, a podcast I like to listen to uh, called Pastor's Talk. It's, it's put out by the Nine Marks Ministry. And I listened to this podcast. It was talking about this subject this past week. And man, uh, Pastor Jameson said this, and I just, I, I wrote it down. I'm like, got to use this. He said it better than I could. And it's, it's simply this. Civil disobedience is warranted when government commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands. 
Now, let's pause the video again, and I'd like you to talk about this next discussion question that you see on your handout. What unbiblical excuses do some Christians make to justify not submitting to our government or honoring our government as they should? What are some unbiblical excuses? Talk about that with your friends or your family or your, your spouse, and then I'll be back in a minute. Here's a few that came to my mind. Um, first of all, one of the most common ones that I see is, is uh, Christians who do this will turn personal preferences into biblical convictions. That's the best way I know how to say it. Um, they also will say things like, well, I never voted for this president, governor, or mayor anyway. And as if to say, if the person I wanted in that position was there, I would then submit to them. But since I didn't get who I wanted, I'm not going to respect them, honor them, or listen to them. I'm going to just complain, 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 and criticize like crazy. Or they, they magnify the flaws of the leader they didn't vote for and then minimize the flaws of the one they did vote for. You know, so like, if just hypothetically speaking, if they really like President Trump and they voted for him, they're gonna minimize his flaws and weaknesses and character deficiencies, uh, but they're gonna maximize President Obama's character flaws and weaknesses and, and other deficiencies he's got. Uh, here's another one. How many times have you heard someone who got a traffic ticket say, it was my fault, I deserved it? Yeah, um, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. I've never heard that or I've only heard that a couple times in my life. And here's why. Our sin nature prefers to point out all the things that the police officer did wrong or the other drivers that who were wrong instead of owning our mistake you know so it's like well the the speed the print on the speed limit sign was too small or there were other drivers going faster than i was or the police officer um you know he he put other people in danger coming after me or you know on and on and on those are some things that I've seen Christians, unfortunately, do in order to justify not submitting to our government when they should. Well, let's, uh, let's circle the tower here and begin to land the plane. Number four in your outline is this. Complex church government issues require prayer, wisdom, discernment, and decision-making by church leaders. Complex church government issues require prayer, wisdom, discernment, and decision-making by church leaders. Sorry, it's a long point, but I, had to, I, I didn't know how to make it shorter. And here's what I mean. There just are times when it's not clear or obvious from God's Word what the Lord would want the church to do in relationship to the government.
it, it sometimes is fuzzy or complicated. Now, wisdom is the skillful application of God's word. Uh, discernment is distinguishing between what's pleasing to God or what's not pleasing to him, or maybe what would be more pleasing to God versus less pleasing. And then, of course, decision-making is what leaders have to do. They have to make decisions by faith with wisdom and discernment and prayer and then trust the Lord with the results. And sometimes we have to look back on, with hindsight and go, you know what, we wish we would have done that differently. Or we look back and go, praise the Lord, it turned out better than we thought. But complex, to get more specific to right now and what's going on in, in our country right now, here's a complex issue that is really being heavily debated about the relationship between church and government. And that's the current debate taking place on the news, talk shows, and social media that really involves this. And I'm going to do my best to boil it down and keep it simple here. There's two camps that have developed amongst Protestant evangelicals. On one side of the fence, there are evangelicals who trust our government's stated intention to save lives from the coronavirus by asking churches to temporarily suspend worship services. And this group of believers over here, generally, they, they believe that the coronavirus was as dangerous as our government said it was, and it was worth temporarily suspending worship services and our religious freedoms in order to save lives. Now, there's another camp of Protestant evangelicals that's developed on the other side of the fence. And these folks don't trust our government, and they thus don't trust our government's intentions by asking churches to temporarily suspend worship services. And this group over here, they, they believe the coronavirus was not as dangerous as our government said it was, and thus not worth surrendering our religious freedoms. In fact, this, this camp over here, on this side of the fence, they even believe that our government is currently right now and has been causing us to disobey God by preventing us from gathering to worship God. Now, in my humble opinion, I don't think our government has violated our religious freedoms yet, at least not here in California. I think it's possible it could happen if things don't change here soon. But regardless of all that, I think it's important for us to focus on what we do know for certain. What can we, what can we really lean on that's certain fact and objective. And here's a few things. As of this recording, there have been more than 96,000 deaths in our country in the past five to six months alone from the coronavirus. And I think it's certain, I think we can say with certainty that the number of deaths would have been much, much, much higher if our government had not leveraged its authority to implement mitigation steps. 
We also know for certain in recent days that the Center for Disease Control, our governor and our county will be releasing guidelines in the coming week for churches to reopen safely. And I praise the Lord for that. We, we need that wisdom from them. We need that counsel. And Ephesians 5.10, we know for certain, you can look it up later if you want, but Ephesians 5.10, I have it on your handout. It says we need to do our best to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Because as you heard me say a minute ago, sometimes it's not clear. So what does this mean for our church? Well, I'm excited to announce that this coming week, I will begin developing a plan with our deacons and with Five Stone Churches and our school district for reopening Vanguard Bible Church. We will be faced with some challenges, though. And one of those is the challenge of discerning how to apply the following scriptures. I, I kind of I call these uh, tension points, or I think of them like, um, to use the illustration of a fence, like a yard that's fenced in. We've got to put some scripture stakes down and then figure out what does the middle look like in the yard with these fence posts or stakes that we've put up, which all the stakes and fence posts are scriptures. So, for example, um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says we are supposed to gather as believers corporately to worship the Lord. But what does that look like in the new world we're going to be living in now? Um, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, we looked at earlier, says that we are supposed to be submissive to our government leaders. Well, what do we do if our county, state, and federal leaders don't agree? Who do we submit to? And so we're going to have to wrestle through that. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, tell us that we should put the needs of others before our own. Well, how do we do that? as a congregation who want to come together and worship corporately, but how do, how do we put the needs of others before our own, and more specifically, the needs of those who are at high risk of catch, catching uh, the coronavirus, or those who already have major health problems, and they want to worship too. How, so how do we do that? That's something we're going to have to wrestle with. And then in First Peter chapter 2 is another uh, scripture verse that comes up, excuse me, there's two other verses in 1 Peter 2 that come to mind. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 12 and 15. Those verses say we need to protect the witness of the church. Well, how do we do that? How do we show our love for the Lord and show that we love the community? That we're not gathering to worship to put our community at risk of more COVID-19 cases and possibly more COVID-19 deaths. We, we need to be careful there and we need to discern how do we do this? How do we please the Lord and how do we not hurt our witness in the community? Here's our church, though, is a little different than other churches in that we don't we don't have our own building. We're a portable church. So we do have a few hoops to jump through that other churches would not have. But. I, it is my hope, and I'm, I'm going to say this carefully, uh, it is my hope that if the Lord wills and things keep trending the direction they're going right now, 
that we will be able to resume public worship services at Vanguard in the month of June. That, that's my hope and my prayer. And as soon as we have a date set, we'll get word out to you and let you know. Now, let's talk applications before we wrap things up. Here's the first application that comes to mind, uh, and that is maintain a steady diet of God's Word. Maintain a steady diet of God's Word. I know, I know. Some of you are probably thinking right now, man, how many times is Pastor Kerry going to tell us we're supposed to study God's Word? And the answer to that question is, honestly, as many times as it takes. And here's why. If you don't know God's Word, you'll fight to protect your constitutional rights, but surrender on biblical convictions. And that's a problem because none of us will stand before God to, and give an account for how we defended the United States Constitution. But we will have to answer to God for how we defended what's written in this book. Knowing God's word well enough to know what we should die for can only come from meditating on the scriptures day in and day out over several years. Over time, with the discipline of personal Bible study, you will gain more and more knowledge of God's word and you will know what you're supposed to fight for and what you can trust the Lord with. Here's the next application. Number two, by faith, submit to and honor God-ordained authority as unto the Lord. By faith, submit to and honor God-ordained authority as unto the Lord. Your submission to authority says more about you and what you believe than it does the authority you are sitting under. Submission is, is really, it's joyfully yielding to and learning from God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. And when, by God's enabling spirit, you are able to respectfully submit to authority, it proves, it proves that you believe what God's word says about authority. Now, can you ask questions of authorities? Absolutely. Can you raise concerns? Certainly. Can you offer suggestions to authorities? Sure. But do so respectfully and be prepared to turn your questions, concerns, and suggestions over to the Lord if they are dismissed. And finally, the third application is pray for your church leaders to have wisdom and discernment. Pray, pray for me and our deacons and Five Stone Churches and uh, the Rosedale School District as we develop this plan on how to get Vanguard reopened safely for worship. So, is it ever okay to disobey our government? Only if government asks us to disobey the Lord. If this happens, the scriptures teach that we are to resist 
peacefully. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Please stay tuned to our website and social media for the latest updates on when we will be resuming and reopening our church. And we'll do our best to get any new developments out to you as well. Until then, thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and have a happy Memorial Day. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.